Hello and welcome to episode 113 of Beekeeping at Five Apple. Happy New Year, everyone. I know I didn't start right away at the first of the year, but wow, a new year, 2024, a chance to be better beekeepers. That's what I hope for each of you. I want to start this episode by issuing a challenge to you. I hope you will take 2024 and make it the year you become a significantly better beekeeper. Now, you may be a really good beekeeper, but step it up. And you may be an absolute beginner, but step it up and focus. I hope that all of you work on your knowledge and skills in the winter. And then as you do the beekeeping, everything you do, think about the patterns that you're seeing, think about the biology of the bees, increase your knowledge and skills of every kind of thing. Even if you're like, you know, I want to keep it simple. That's okay. Because you can keep it simple so much better if you are truly knowledgeable about your subject. In fact, the only way to be truly simple is to be a master at your craft. And that's what I want for each of you. There are so few things in this modern world that, uh, you know, other than our professions, that we put our head down and decide to be really, really good at. And it is so satisfying. It is so satisfying. You are a blessing to the beekeeping world. If you put in your work, put in the reps, put in the study, and put in the thoughtfulness to be a really good beekeeper, it will make you a rare and beautiful individual because there aren't that many good beekeepers out there. And I'm not dissing beekeepers at all. It's just there's not a lot of us to begin with. We have a problem in backyard beekeeping of the perpetual beginner. And I'm not casting shade on anybody, but it is kind of a problem. The perpetual beginner who is always just sort of wanting to do it by a recipe, just wants to know the recipe, the steps of the recipe, but doesn't want to know the why, doesn't want to dig deeper. And I hope the listeners of this podcast are the people who want to dig deeper and really know their craft well. It doesn't mean that you'll ever speak to a bee club unless you want to. It doesn't mean that you'll mentor other people unless you want to. I hope you will. But the diving deep and the having a deep knowledge and craft of a thing is a beautiful, beautiful thing to do in this modern world. I hope you will take 2024, no matter what happens this winter, and with your bees, I hope you will stretch into new things. Try some new skills, visit a new beekeeper that you don't know and see how they do things, preferably pick an experienced good beekeeper, and you'll pick up so many tips going to somebody else's yard and observing Remember that when you do that, you are a guest. I highly recommend bringing a little treat to the beekeeper if you're going to observe or if they're going to mentor you. A friend mentioned that there was, um, I can't remember if she said it was an article or podcast, kind of downplaying the role of mentors in beekeeping. And here's the thing. If you 
believe that a mentor is somebody that just tells you what to do and you are going to follow what they do, let that go. And if you focus on learning from every single person, every single person that you talk bees with, that you work bees with, as I've said often before, when I was a beginner, I had the bee inspector come out um, because I was preparing to move from Arkansas to North Carolina, and the only way I could take the bees was to get them inspected. And I just remembered the guy was such a pro, and watching him work the hive, I learned more in 10 minutes than I had in hours before of study online and YouTubes and books. I mean, I do all of that. I recommend all of that. But a pro is a, it's an amazing thing to watch a pro work the actual beehive. And I hope you will give yourself that gift. So that's my charge to you, all of the beekeeping at Five Apple listeners. I would like for you to become a better beekeeper if you're already experienced or to become a real beekeeper if you are a beginner. I think it's very hard. There's just not many things in this world that the learning curve is like, well, you're probably going to suck the first five years. (laughs) And the problem is like from years two to four, you won't even realize you suck. You'll think you have it managed. You'll think you are the best and that you have figured out something that all those other beekeepers could not figure out. (laughs) That's just a normal part of the developmental process in a beekeeper. And then you get humbled, the bees or the weather will humble you and you have to make a decision at that point. You have to make a decision to either quit, which is what most people do, or to gather yourself, learn from your mistakes and go forward. I really, really hope beginners, this will be the year you are a real beekeeper and all that is is sticking to it, knowing the bee biology knowing the patterns of your bioregion and basically just not giving up. So that's my wish for you all for 2024. So today I'm going to talk to you about an interesting conversation I had with another experienced beekeeper about the disservice we do to new beekeepers by starting them out with packages. That's going to be partly what I talk about today. But before I start that, I just want to go back. The last episode I did and I was I was talking about the factors that I believe have been helpful to me uh, to be successful in having live bees, having a sustainable apiary since 2010. And one, I realized I kind of drifted off topic and did not emphasize enough was the role of overwintering nukes. I, I started off talking about the smaller configuration and about making a lot of bees, but I didn't say specifically enough that making nukes in the summer, either the high summer or the late summer, high summer's better for the nukes and late summer is a little bit more difficult, but it does create an, a younger queen the following year. But overwintering nukes is a skill that is where my beekeeping turned around because having all of those fresh, ready to come out of the chute, raring to go in the spring, having those little baby hives to make up for winter losses and also just to come out 
that fresh to be queens that are truly young. They have not had to lay eggs and through an entire honey season. So that queen is still fresh. She's, she's the perfect combination. She's experienced, but she's still fresh. And that is a beautiful thing. And so overwintered nukes, that was a topic that I didn't go into enough on the last episode, which was factors that I believe have helped my apiary. I also want to stop here to say something that might be controversial, that might upset some listeners. But I I hope you'll listen all the way through and try to get what I'm saying. If you are just starting in bees, the truth is we do not need any more beginner beekeepers. I know that sounds terrible, doesn't it? And obviously, um, beekeepers who are aging out of the game, yes, we need replacement beekeepers. But what I'm saying is we don't need more beginners who stay beginners. And truthfully, if you're thinking about taking up bees and you happen to be listening to this podcast, or you know somebody who's thinking about taking up bees, I urge you to do some real soul searching or to help them to do some soul searching. Do they have the time to dedicate to bees? Do they have the money? Because let's just put it out there. Beekeeping is not a cheap hobby and you need some resources at your disposal You can get those resources without a lot of money, but you have to put in the sweat equity. You have to befriend a beekeeper, maybe help them out. If you help out a beekeeper regularly, I would be shocked if you don't end up going home with a nuke one day because that's what's going to happen. They're going to retire a queen, make a nuke and go, hey, want this one? And you're going to start off with a nuke. If you have been shadowing and assisting an experienced beekeeper, they will give you used equipment They will usually give you bees. They will give you their extra hive tool. So there are ways to get started that are not expensive. Maybe the most expensive way to get started is to start completely on your own. To start where you're like, you know, I can do this. I can read the books. I can do this. The truth is you can. If you are truly dedicated, you actually can. But it's going to take so much more work on your part than if you become a part of a community of beekeepers. I can't tell you how much I pick up to this day. When I go out, um, my beekeeping friends, we have a <laughs> a semi-standing date for beekeeping and brews. We meet at the local pub and we talk bees, especially in the winter when we're desperate <laughs> to talk bees with somebody. Every time I sit with friends of all different experience levels, but I highly recommend hanging out with the master beekeepers and the more experienced beekeepers, you will pick up so many tidbits. And if you get some bee friends, it's amazing the things you can talk through and the ideas you can get. I I can't recommend it highly enough. The community of beekeepers, if you find a community of beekeepers that you get along with, maybe you don't do everything the same way. Maybe you don't see eye to eye on everything. But you like them and you learn from them and maybe you do social things like meeting at the pub and talking bees. That is one of the most unexpected gifts of beekeeping that I've experienced and I highly recommend it. But back to what I was saying. There are so many beekeepers who start out with good intentions, high hopes. They start out, they get their package, they do everything right, but then their bees still die. Bees can die 
I mean, you can kill a lot of bees. There's a thousand ways to kill a colony of bees, unfortunately. But also, sometimes you do everything right. You do everything picture perfect right, and they still don't make it. Maybe it was a poorly mated queen. Maybe it was a poor quality nuke or just a crappy package where all those disorganized bees that are not related to each other in any way are dumped with a queen they've never seen before and expected to function under the worst kind of circumstances. So you can do everything right. But here's the thing. The perpetual beginner, which is just a plague of beekeeping, is the person who just never advances. They never look up something for themselves. You know, they're the people... And I will admit, I have kind of changed how I connect with people because I just don't have the patience. I confess, I'm I'm a woman of that age. <laughs> I don't have the patience to answer beginner questions from the same beginner over and over and over. And frankly, I really enjoy working with more intermediate beekeepers. You know, they've they've tried some bees. They recognize that it's not a cakewalk. They are learning their skills. That's the kind of person that's wonderful to mentor, even if it's a, just a text mentorship, to just encourage them, encourage their curiosity, encourage their own learning. That is fun. But the person who just won't Google the simplest thing about beekeeping or who won't read the most basic book about beekeeping, I will be honest, I just don't have time to mentor those people personally. Now, if those people want to listen to the podcast, I would be glad. I really, really hope to inspire them to get curious and go deep about this amazing skill that is beekeeping, an amazing experience on every level, learning from the bees. So if you're thinking about doing beekeeping, maybe you've thought about ordering a nuke or a package, or maybe you already have ordered a nuke in your pa- or package, but maybe you don't have much time in your life at all. You want to have one hive. That's all you want to have. You want it in your garden. I'm not trying to dissuade you because that's how, you know, that's the gateway drug. (laughs) That's the gateway drug to beekeeping. And we all have to, we all have to go through that gateway. But if you are a person that just wants it to be easy, you just want to have the pretty hive and see the bees buzzing around in your yard. Honestly, don't be a beekeeper. Support other beekeepers and plant lots of bee food. This is the most, in my opinion, the most unrecognized avenue to show and live our love for bees in the natural world and pollinators. And that is to dedicate your time and your effort to planting things for the bees. And I want to just, I'm going to put on my personal soapbox and say, learning and planting shrubs and trees in your area that support the bees. And the reason I say that is because shrubs and trees have the capacity to go on long after we've lost interest or we've drifted to something else or our health changes and we can't keep bees. Every shrub and tree you have planted keeps on supporting the bees onward. So if you are iffy about, do I have enough time to keep bees? Do I really want to keep bees? Do I really want to put this investment into the boxes and the bees and everything and the time of going to meetings and taking classes or reading books and all that? If you are on the fence about that, 
please consider that in all likelihood, the more important task is to plant forage for the bees. The bees are out there in the world. They're actually doing not so bad considering, and I'm not always talking about the bees in the care of beekeepers right now, but bees in general, they're out there and what they need is support. And we can be so much more of a support as planters of trees and shrubs, even than as beekeepers. Now, you may be a super geek like me and want to do both. And that's an option. But I just want to put that out there. If you're on the fence about, you know, do I really want to continue in bees? Let me say this. If you're three years or under and you're like, I don't know if I want to do this. You're still in the steep learning phase. So you may or may not, you may or may not turn out to be a fabulous beekeeper. It's all up to you. It's all up to your dedication and commitment level. And I'm, again, no shame there. If there's times in life, you just don't have it. You don't have the time. You don't have the space. You don't have the money. That is okay because there's this other way you can demonstrate and live your love for bees in a way that is so under-celebrated in my opinion. So just keep that in mind. There's more than one way to love and support the bees. And however you do it, it is worthwhile. So I was having dinner with an experienced beekeeper friend. And it's always fun. It's so fun to go and talk bees with somebody who's about, uh, who's on the same experience level as you, as you are. Especially once you, once you get over the 10 year mark, it's just fascinating how much, how much knowledge a good beekeeper has. And it may not be the knowledge that I have. So I'm always skimming for information, you know, as I'm talking to them. But my friend made this comment. She said that there were plans underway in our club to talk about package installation. And she just said off the cuff, you know, I'm not so sure we should teach beginners all about package installation because starting with a package is such a disservice to a beginner. And this big light bulb went on in my head because that is so true. That is so right on. There is no harder way to start in bees than fresh equipment, no drawn comb, and a package. If you want the biggest eight ball that a colony of bees could probably have, it would be that combination. And that's what we tell beginners. It's like, okay, get a box and, you know, get your stuff and then get a package and install them. And then you have to, you know, run that gauntlet of those bees are dying. I mean, because they're grown bees. So as like us all, they're dying every day, but they've got six weeks max. You don't know in that package, no matter how good the package producer that you get it from, you don't know the age of those bees. They were just shaken out of a bunch of different colonies in there. There are bees of all ages. Well, the ones that are pushing close to six weeks, they're geriatrics. They're about out of here. So you're asking this group of unrelated bees to take to and not kill an unrelated queen that just gets stuffed into their package with them. You're talking about put them, putting them on bare foundation Asking them to draw comb, which just remember that a pound of comb takes nine pounds or something like that of honey to create. That's the equal energy expenditure. So you're asking them to draw out 
a hive full of comb. Of course, you're going to feed them, but then you add another rock in a hard place because when you start feeding them sugar water, they're drawing comb as fast as they can to store that sugar water. Well, then where does the queen lay the brood that's going to build the next bees that basically there's six weeks, the big clock is ticking for them to have a brood nest to begin producing new bees. Now the queen's completely capable, hopefully if she's well-mated and if they don't kill her (laughs) or supersede her right on the front end. So she can lay eggs, but she's got to have comb to lay in. And so already, so in feeding, a lot of times beginners, you know, they put a bunch of one-to-one sugar syrup on there, and then they can't figure out why their doomed package swarms sometime later. It's because they built up a bunch of comb, they had a tiny brood nest, and then they just run out of space and maybe they swarm. Or maybe the queen cuts back on laying, which is a death sentence, because again, this population is dying off every single day. So I cannot, I mean, once she brought it to my attention, I I don't know if I've ever thought about this that way, but there is no harder way to start beekeeping than a package on raw foundation. And it did dawn on me that, you know, packages, they're most commonly used other than beginners. They're most commonly used by commercial beekeepers who had dead outs. And so they buy a bunch of packages. And so they dump a package into a whole hive full of drawn comb. Well, that's a whole different ball game because with that drawn comb, there's plenty of room for the queen to lay and there's plenty of room for them to to store that one-to-one sugar syrup that's really important because they need that to feed the brood. So, you know, I mean, it's unfortunate that commercial beekeepers have all those dead outs and because of business pressures, they have to get those packages. Some really good beekeepers have a whole side operation of making their own nukes so that when they have the inevitable dead outs over the winter, they have their own nukes to pop on those dead outs and boom, they've got a a colony that's going in no time. But yes, packages are out there. And then when you think about it, for the package producers, which are a business, they need to make a living too. What is a better business than selling to brand new beekeepers who have about, I don't know if anybody has done the numbers, but maybe you have a 20% chance of success starting from a package on raw foundation. It may be better than that, but it's not a lot better than that. So yeah, they're going to sell them to you because, hey, that's a lot of customers and a lot of customers come back year after year. And unfortunately, I even know of experienced beekeepers who lose so many colonies that they end up buying packages more or less every year. And I do not get that. To me, if you've got several hives and you are having to buy packages, Something is not working in your beekeeping. Something's not going right. And of course, I wish that people kind of go back to the drawing board and going, hey, what am I doing wrong here that I'm having to buy packages? Now, there's nothing wrong with buying a package. I mean, there's many people that are trying to produce a certain level of honey. They have so many dead outs. They need to fill those hives. They have an entire hive full of drawn comb. They go get a package. But in that scenario, you know, some, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of reminds me of people who do landscaping and they call it, you know, plant material. It's not this kind of plant who does really well in this kind of setting, but it's just like plant material. They just buy 
crap. <laughs> you know, they buy whatever's cheap. They install it in your landscape and God be with it because that's it. And maybe it'll do well and blah, blah, blah. But there's also, unfortunately, that line of, of beekeeping. And I hope you won't, any of you, I hope you won't be that kind of beekeeper. I hope you will be a top-notch sustainable beekeeper. That is my goal in this podcast. So again, if you're a beginner and you're starting out, what is better than a package? Well, a nuke. Even a lower quality nuke, you are going to have a better chance than a package if you don't have drawn comb. There's just no way to emphasize enough the difference that having drawn comb at your disposal makes. That is why you've often heard me say, if you have a winter dead out, it happens. But oh my gosh, protect that comb when it starts getting warm. Protect that comb. Do whatever you need to do to protect that comb. Because whatever you form of bees you start with next, the comb just leapfrogs them ahead dramatically. I mean, if you if you want an amazing thing, you hive a swarm onto drawn comb and it's just unreal. I mean, give them some foundation too, because they need to, to draw some comb to, to get all the sugar out of them. But the speed at which they can fill up a colony is just stunning because they need what, you know, a ninth of the energy that it takes for them to build the comb while also creating that brood nest and creating all the winter stores and all that type of thing. So drawn comb is gold. And when you buy a nuke, even if it's not the greatest one, one of the most important things is to check and see how many frames of drawn comb you will get because those frames on their own have a lot of value. And then hopefully you have a ethical and reputable nuke dealer who gives you a lot of bees and a lot of drawn comb. And those two things, along with a good queen, you can actually get a start. I just can't emphasize enough. Those five frames of comb, try to get five frames of comb if you can, will make all the difference in the world of you getting started. And that's what my friend and I were talking about is like, typically it's just like, what, 50 bucks more? I mean, maybe you have to be a little bit more patient. Maybe you have to wait till a little in the summer. But what a beginner doesn't realize is that is to your advantage anyway, because just like trying to start tomato plants when it's still cold at night and the ground is still cold, you're just setting yourself up for all kinds of problems you don't have to have if you will just be a little bit more patient. You know, I encourage you to spend that time while you're waiting on your nuke, working with experienced beekeepers who are bringing hives, you know, out of winter. They have overwintered hives because that way you're going to lay eyes on what you want your hives to look like the following spring. And understanding that is actually a um, skill, an important skill to have that otherwise, <laughs> otherwise first year beekeepers hit that second year and they're like, oh, my goodness, what is this beast I have in my hive compared to this sweet little growing hive that I had last year? So spend that time working with other beekeepers and seeing and practicing. Practice on other people's bees if you can manage that. Mostly learn from from other beekeepers. Even if they're not terribly experienced, just don't, just take everything they say with a grain of salt, but 
but look over some of their skills, that familiarity is is invaluable just in how and how to use the hive tools and just how to lift a box off or replace all that stuff. It's really invaluable. So then if you're a little more patient and wait for the nukes, you start off so far ahead of the game. And I totally agree. I totally agree with my friend. It is a disservice to for clubs, in my opinion, to focus on, okay, here's how to beginners, you'll start with a package. Maybe, maybe clubs should start emphasizing beginners. You should start with a nuke. And ideally, you should start with a local nuke. And ideally, it's a local nuke produced fairly inexpensively by the other club members. How great is that? Our club, I'm so impressed with the officers over the past several years. We have really gotten to where a lot of new beekeepers get their nukes from our club members who are raising nukes. And even if there's not enough to go around, we have identified some nuke producers in the the area. I'm going to throw out a cheer for Brian Fisher outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And if you happen to be in driving distance, the nukes I've seen come out of Brian's apiary. They look good. I'm very excited about his queens. I actually hope to get some queens from him this year because he's got some breeder queens I'm very interested in. But anyway, in your location, find a good nuke producer. You know, find a producer, ideally, that produces the whole nuke. Because a lot of times, people will take their excess bees from their overwintered hives, and then they will get a queen from somewhere, and they will combine that to make a nuke. Now, that's not a a huge problem if they've done it well, if they've allowed that queen to really get laying and make sure she's accepted and all that, then you can get a darn good nuke that way, particularly if they have gone to a queen rearer with a good reputation. So for example, anybody making a nuke who's going to get one of Brian's queens, that's has a good chance of being a good nuke. But find those people in your own area. It's not easy. It takes some time. It takes some effort. It takes some awkwardness of talking to people that you don't know. And maybe they're, you know, (laughs) maybe it's weird talking to them or whatever. But hey, that's the reps that you put in to be a a good beekeeper. So that is something I just want to say. If, If you're not already committed to a package, or maybe if you are, and if you can get a refund or a credit to go with a nuke, I really encourage that. I, I feel like people have much more success. Now, let me say, a nuke is not foolproof. The first nuke I ever bought died that winter. It turns out the guy had hived a swarm queen, so she was probably already at least two years old. And so he just threw the swarm in a nuke, sold it to me as a nuke. And I didn't know any better. And so I had it and they died. But Truth be told, I had five beautiful frames of drawn comb, and that put me ahead on the splits that I made later that summer with the starter bees that I had, which happened to be a swarm, which is a lovely, lovely way to start beekeeping should you get so lucky. And it's not like I was out there and saw a swarm and hive them, although my mentor, that's how she got started. She was literally at work. A swarm landed on a bush outside the office and people were like, oh my God, there's a swarm of bees out in a bush. She gets on Google, looks up how to hive a swarm, 
grabs the swarm, gets some equipment from somebody she knows, put the swarm in it, and that's how she started beekeeping. And then she mentored me, for which I will always be thankful. But if you happen to be able to start from a swarm, if you have the patience for that to wait a little bit later, then that's that's a fun and wonderful way. Because if you can get them to stay in the box, they are actually prepared to draw tons of comb, unlike a package that were just bees working, doing their own thing, and suddenly they're alien abducted and thrown into a box. They're not loaded with honey like a swarm is. They're not physiologically prepared like a swarm is to go and draw a new um, hive. So that's a great that's a great way to start. It's a little bit more obscure, but should you get so lucky, it is a great way to start. But I'm saying all this not to be a jerk, but to emphasize that starting with a package is really hard. I mean, if somebody, even with the experience that I have, if somebody gave me a package and a naked, bare, brand new hive set up, I would be like, oh gosh, I, I hope I can do this because it's just, it's just a challenge compared to getting a nuke, which if it's a good nuke producer, that queen has been laying with those bees for some time. She's adapted. That's a real functioning colony. They are, they have become an organism <laughs> as opposed to the box of mixed parts that happen um, when all those pieces are just thrown into a package or thrown into a nuke, depending on the nuke producer that you get. I was listening to some presentation by, gosh, I'm blanking out on who it was, but it was a really experienced, respected beekeeper. And he was talking about that um, the queen producers who go on a, I could be flubbing this, but like who go on a two-week schedule of harvesting the queens, he said that's so much, that's so much less of a quality queen than a producer who allows that new queen to lay about three weeks before she's sold. And he talked about that, that three weeks of laying, that queen has so much more pheromone. She's got her feet under her. She knows what she's doing. And therefore, when someone puts her in a cage and then you try to put her in with your bees, she's a real queen. She is not a novice. And they do accept a real queen so much better than a queen who's just getting started and just doesn't quite know how to handle her, her queenliness. So, you know, little details like that, they matter. And the longer you're in it, you realize how much they matter and you will be on the lookout for, for all that type of thing. Well, let's pause for a word from our sponsors. Just kidding, because our sponsors are our patrons. The patrons keep this on the air and you've listened to all this time and not had to listen to a commercial. And that is thanks to the patrons. And so I invite you all to become a patron. It is patreon.com slash fiveapple, F-I-V-E-A-P-P-L-E. And if you join us as a supporter over there, not only do you keep the podcast on the air, you keep it free for everyone, and you make it so that no no one has to deal with sponsorship messages. So I invite you to join us and I'm going to start the year off right with a bonus podcast. So there's going to be a Patreon bonus within the next two weeks. I'm going to talk like I can only talk to the patrons because 
I was listening to this podcast that I usually kind of enjoy. The topic was going to be a smaller format for beekeeping. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. That I, I mentioned that last episode. I want to hear what they have to say. It turned out that the speaker was mostly about how to keep the bees from being too productive because they didn't want to deal with a large hive. I just have to say, I was doing some hollering in the car when I was listening to this because I'm like, oh my gosh, what a lost opportunity in my opinion. So I'm going to dish <laughs> like I, I'm not going to do on this channel, but for the patrons, it is no holes barred and I'm going to tell them what I think. On the upside, I'm going to present some alternatives to what is, in my opinion, that short-sighted plan. So I know that's a little cryptic, but if you are interested, I would so welcome you. And I'm also going to throw in for the patrons some videos and presentations that I've come across lately that I felt like have are really good. So I will be sharing those on that Patreon patron-exclusive podcast. But I'll also tell you here on the regular channel that episode 114 is going to be something I hope you will enjoy. A listener who's actually in Western North Carolina down in Franklin wrote me and was asking about, said, hey, I listened to that episode where you talked about your favorite split, the cut down split, and I'd like to get the handouts that I had promised. And so I was writing back and forth with him and I said, you know, actually, that's not my favorite split anymore. I mean, I'll give you the handouts, no, no problem, but that's not my favorite split anymore. So that topic is actually the missing in action part two of the presentation that I started last year. And then I just got all kerfluffled. It was the podcast version of a presentation I did at my local bee club, which is something like, why on earth would you ever use a walkaway split? Because there are so many more incredible and more targeted splits that are available out there. What it brought to mind um, when this listener asked was the split that I have been in love with for the past couple of years is the modified reverse Doolittle. <laughs> because I mentioned it on a podcast way back when somewhere, Tina Sebastian had talked about this kind of split that she does called a reverse Doolittle split. And I guess there's a Doolittle split. I'm not actually, can't bring it to mind right at the top of my head, what a Doolittle split is, but a reverse Doolittle is very, very, very similar to the runaway split that Andrew talked about and that I've talked about. It's a variation on a flyback split, which is a slightly different one, but I'm going to talk about those. And it kind of, that episode 114 will kind of function as the part two of that presentation that I just dropped in midair and never came back to on the podcast. And that'll be a start to that. Okay, so I'm going to wrap it up here. I hope you're all doing well. I hope you're excited to start the 2024 beekeeping year. Despite the frigid temperatures, it was six degrees Fahrenheit this morning when I woke up and uh, there was ice on the inside of the storm door. <laughs> despite those temperatures, your little bees out there in the colonies are starting to think about making a brood nest. Your queen has probably started laying a tiny brood nest, maybe depending on where you are in the country. And so keep an eye on their food. That's a, that's a big deal right now. All right, take care. I'm so happy that all of you 
If you're listening right now, I just want to say I appreciate you. I appreciate the kind of mind and heart it takes to be a super geek and not only be a beekeeper, but also listening to beekeeping podcasts of any kind. I just respect that. So my hat's off to you. I am very glad to be in community with all of you. Take care and I'll talk to you soon.